Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh boy, MWR.com, Mountain West Wire podcast here. Matt, this is um, allegedly, well, not allegedly, eventually it's going to be our Mountain West Championship preview game. But there's other news to take care of first and foremost. Aren't you glad we waited an extra 24 hours to record? Dude, we almost did this Monday night. <laughs> yeah, we almost did this Monday night. And then we almost said, okay, well, let's plan, you know, let's do half on Tuesday and half on Wednesday. Oh boy. Yeah. The last 48 hours have been breakneck if you're a Mountain West football fan. And I'm glad you're around because you did the transfer portal update. You did stats for the title game. You did Hayner. You did Kalen DeBoer. And guess what? I haven't even got your thoughts about freaking Steve Adazio. That's true. (laughs) Or, or, you know, the all all conference. Oh, my goodness. uh, According Ah! to the coaches and media. Ah, Select media, it says. Select media, yes. So we discussed about eight seconds ago. Let's go this order, but we're going to change it up, Matt, because there's things that all these things we both mentioned. Let me ask you this really. Let's start with backtrack. I got, I did the recap over the weekend. It was pretty short. It was mostly uneventful outside of San Diego State coming from behind for versus Boise State. Mm-hmm. Jordan Brookshire, I guess, is the quarterback this weekend. He did pretty good when he came in, but Steve Adagio, what is your thoughts on him and how he got ejected? Like, is he done? Uh, well, um, I guess we'll, we'll know a lot more tomorrow by the December time the podcast goes up, um, which will, you know, if you, if you observe on Thursday, happy Steve Adazio's buyout drops by $2 million today, day. I mean, so what, I, I th- it's 3 I mean, million, right? Is that a drops to 3 million? Yeah. I mean, if they're desperate enough, they could do it, but you know, if, if they don't have the financial wherewithal, then they might just be stuck with them until the buyout drops again this time next year. Is, but what about this? Because here's the thing. Like, reading, listen to his comments, reading his comments from the various beat writers at the press conference, because mm-hmm. we weren't sure if he was going to speak. Like, you have Lytle, you have um, Justin Michael, you guys from the Denver Post. Who is it Sean Keeley over there? Uh, yes. I believe it is. Sean the Keeler, other Sean yeah. Keeley. Keeler. I know, I know Sean Keeley and a Sean. He's Keller, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, because I know Keeley and then him. So I, I got to make sure on Twitter, I'm like, is this the, <laughs> yeah. Syri- the Syracuse guy I've known forever or the Denver Post guy who basically is like our alter ego? Or no, not even alter, exactly the same guy who hates it, Steve Adazio, that he's stealing money from the university. But like, how do you get freaking ex- ejected from a game? Uh, apparently, apparently he just said the wrong thing to the refs. Twice. <laughs> do you believe, as he put it, they're this close? If you no. can't see, this is the audio audio medium. So basically, you know, people goes, we're this close about a quarter inch. Because I, in your interest, no. Because I put on Twitter, like that night, like they're this close, but they're losing most likely, like losing their leading rusher. Probably Tatsun Teo, Dante Wright, um, Trey McBride, multiple defenders, but likely gone or, or gone for sure. He inherited a pretty good team. More, more to the point, he inherited a very veteran team. Yeah, and you know, with the reinforcements that he brought in, you know, he brought in David Bailey, he brought in a couple of guys on the offensive line. You know, Cam Reddy is the guy that that most readily comes to mind. You know, all a lot of those guys are going to be gone next year, and so you know, I, I and I have talked about this before about how you know even if people outside the program didn't necessarily agree with the perspective that they were going to compete this year. You know, I've said all along that I thought internally that given how much experience they had coming back, 
that they considered themselves to be a potential dark horse contender. Um, obviously, that's not the case. And now you're more or less hitting the reset button going into 2022. And that's not to say that they are necessarily alone in that regard. Like we knew all along coming into 2021 that, you know, pretty much every team in the conference was coming in with more experience than they'd ever had before. You talked about retur- returning production all summer long. Um, and, and it's mm-hmm. not like they're even alone in, in meeting or exceeding expectations this year. But again, you know, maybe no team is looking more dire going into the future, considering where they thought they would be than Colorado State right now. They legitimately should be going to a bowl game this year. Well, I pegged them at six and six. I, could, I didn't think they would blow anybody away. Yeah, like, I didn't expect them to be losing games in, in some of the more creative ways that they did this year. And I certainly didn't expect yeah. and I certainly didn't expect them to roll over at the very end of the season. And there's there's two tales to the season. Like we can dive into this later. We're definitely going to because it's such a fat such a fascinating topic. Because we I know you warned us preseason or week one, week zero, whatever it was, South Dakota State pretty good. I don't care. You should you should not get blown up by an FCS team. They blew a huge lead versus Vanderbilt. They play pretty close to Iowa and we're leading. So that's as positive there. They then they crushed New Mexico as you expected, but it all started at Utah State game. It's like, like I said a million times, you have a yes, go or no, go or go or no, go field goal team. They should have beat Utah State. They should have beat South, South Dakota State. Should have beat Vanderbilt. They got their butt kicked first Nevada, where, dude, Carson trying to start bombs and dimes, a Horton and dubs all night. It's like, what are you doing? They lose to a Wyoming team who's not that great. By two touchdowns, like they held Boise twenty eight, but Boise's not amazing this year. I don't know, man. There, it just is it to me. It seems worse because of what Utah State did for the turnaround. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it worse. Like, like I said on Twitter, like part of the reason our who's a Hunter Hewitt, who's done stuff for us before, active on Twitter because we'll get to this minute, the Coach of the Year award, and I'm like, I told him, I got all caps. Utah State literally quit last year in their last game of the season. They gave up and quit the season. And now they're possibly a 10-win team, could win a Mount West championship, could be ranked in the top 45 if they win the bowl game. Well, and, and one thing we didn't really talk about with Colorado State is, you know, we, we've talked about it a little bit, I think, most, most explicitly with, with, with the Aggies that you just talked about. But, you know, we, they were losing games that they really shouldn't have when you look at post-game win expectancy. And so, like, if you don't follow yeah. Bill Connolly on Twitter – at ESPN underscore Bell C. He's got the spreadsheet that he's been updating every single week. And he revealed it, I want to say like five or six weeks ago, that basically lays out, you know, how SP plus and all the different things that it considers, you know, basically like in, you know, considering, you know, all the factors that goes into SP plus, how often would a team be expected to win the game? And there are multiple instances where Colorado State should have won a game and they lost it. Do you, you happen to, to do you happen to have that in front of you? The spreadsheet. I am looking at it right now. What does the Iowa game say? Okay, so the Iowa game is only two percent. Oh, interesting. Okay, I thought it'd be closer. But but the Vanderbilt game is eighty seven percent. Yeah. The Utah State game is ninety six percent. I was gonna guess to say ninety nine, but close enough. Yeah. Um. The the Hawaii game is sixty seven percent. Yeah, I could see that. So again, they're, these are, they're in the same way that where Utah, where Utah State was sort of had the opposite problem where they were sort of defying the odds mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, especially early on in the year. You know, they were winning games that, you know, on paper in a lot of respects that it should have been. I mean, it was close, but it could have very easily gone the other way. You know, we look Washington at the, like, State. the Washington for, State game, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and, and a couple of others. I'm scrolling down and I haven't gotten to them yet. But, you know, it's sort of like two sides of the same coin where like one team, Utah State, you know, sort of caught a few breaks early on, got got lucky. You know, and, you know they, they beat Air Force with a 23% win expectancy too. So like, you know, let's put that mm-hmm. out there. But then they started figuring it out. And down the stretch, you know, they don't have, I don't think they have the, he didn't include the postgame win expectancy for the New Mexico game. But, you know, down the stretch, other than, you know, that clunker against the Cowboys, you know, they were doing exactly what good teams should do against lesser opposition. You know, 95% against Hawaii, 100% win expectancy against New Mexico State, 99 against San Jose mm-hmm. State. So, you know, they, they, they were getting lucky early in the year, and then they turned that luck into just being good as the season progressed. 
Colorado State didn't basically went in the opposite direction where they basically couldn't get out of their own way. And then more, like Mm -hmm. I said, they more or less gave up in that finale. Yeah, they were like, it's jokes like, oh, Dodger's out of there because what he doesn't want to see a beep. But it was embarrassing. Like we, like the Rams have some pretty good defense. Like Rashad Ajayi, they have all these guys up front who are making plays. But Carson Strong just lit them up. Like he had as much time as he wants. Like he had, I don't remember how many deep passes, but what three deep touchdown passes at least. Mm-hmm. Like it was up fourteen to zero. Like because that it, game, it was, I, a, it was a disrespectful first half, is what that was. Oh, totally. Because I remember. What there, I because watching the game live was about to. There was a basketball game before, and I had it recording because I was working, so I had my Fubo set up. So I'm like, okay, I'll pause it, go through, and I went to fast forward. I'm like, wait, it's 14 to zero. Like, what did I miss? Like, I think the game started a two minute, a couple minutes late mm-hmm. for because of stream, but I it, it caught the scores. But I'm like, I was just kind of pulling the, the progress bar. I'm like, wait, 14 to zero. So I back it up. I'm like, oh, they scored, they did score that quickly. I'm like, what did I miss? Did I miss the they miss any plays because it's only on the stream only on cbsports.com? But no, I just happened to fast forward a little bit too far. I'm like, oh, okay. Cause it was like 10 minutes and 14 0. Yeah. But I, here's one interesting. I'm looking at the historical coaching records of Colorado State. We all know Sonny Lubick was amazing, kind of the downturn. But Steve Fairchild, year one, bowl game. First 13 games, had a bowl game, obviously. You had Jim McElwain in year two from four to eight wins. So he had a a tough first year because Steve Fairchild does three trios of three and nine seasons. Mm -hmm. Mike Bobo comes in, bowl game. Steve Adagio, four and 13. Or four and twelve, excuse me. Like no coach, a two. I know it's not two year stretch, but even year and a half stretch. Like if you cut stuff in half, no coach has done that bad. And he had talent, and I don't. It's just he's not a good coach. Like what is there to say? People backing himself, he'll get there. He runs the ball. David Bailey did fine this year, but he I don't, got think, hurt, I don't but, think a lot of people are backing him at this point, though. I mean, I mean, not that Twitter is necessarily representative of the entire base, but there are a lot of Colorado State fans on Twitter that are not happy with Adazio at this point. What besides money? What's the reason to keep him around? There is none. Okay, that's then that because Joe Parker is going to be gone. Like that's the next step here, and we'll get to other stuff later. But he did a good job fundraising, got his stadium built, and I think it's probably Keller put it on Twitter. Like their their attendance is so low, people are going to dismiss him, go away, not come back. They're they're under the threshold of fifteen thousand per per team to be FBS eligible, which is whatever. It's a fluky number, but that's kind of what that technically that's what the threshold to be to keep your status. Mm-hmm. They're well below that. They not making enough money to for season tickets and parking all that type of stuff. Forget what it was, but it's if I'm a Rams, I'd be so upset. And it goes back to stupid Urban Meyer being involved with your coaching search when they should have got the Ohio State offensive coordinator or running backs mm-hmm. coach, mm-hmm. like. And right now is like the perfect time to find a new coach because look at all the crap that's going on right now. Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley, you have Oklahoma open. Uh, I know Notre Dame just tonight promoted their DC from within to be their head coach, which is probably a good move since they're technically alive for playoff contention, but Florida went after Billy Napier. All these jobs are open and they're moving around to Washington state or moved with them. We'll get to um, Kellen, Kellen the board. Cause that's open here in the league, but there's so much movement. There's going to be a ton more with Oklahoma still open. Like, could it be an NFL guy? There's going to be, there's an opportunity to find a coach that's it's kind of the musical chair type of thing. Like, there's too many, I don't know if it's the right word, but like, there's too many good coaches out there. Like, somebody's going to fall in your lap, sort of, essentially, kind of, because who's going to grab who? So, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think there's enough movement and there's going to be more movements. It, it would have been weird if Notre Dame went with somebody else, like, tried to get Urban Meyer to come out or whatever. That would have been crazy things, but I don't know, man. It's, what if you're a Rams? So maybe we should just save this to Labrosky just real quick. What is if you think of Colorado State football just historically? I know the last take, I know the answer is probably going to be, but what do you think of the Rams football team? I mean, what's I their mean, identity and what they've done? I mean, I do think of toughness because I think when you when you think back at like the last great Colorado State teams, who's the first person you think about? Well, I think of wide receivers, that's what I think of. I think of Bradley Van Pelt. Well, yeah, him too. That, how long goes that? You have trucking the ball against the Buffaloes guy scoring the touchdown. Like, I got you, sucker. Like, Rocky Mountain Showdown. Yeah, so, you know, I, I see that sort of, you know, hard-nosed, you know, brand of football as being And that's very, 20 years ago. 
well, at least. Yeah. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, they've been trying to recapture that ever since. Like, you know, the best team that they've had since then, again, came with great quarterback play. It was the, you know, that duel of Garrett Grayson, of Garrett right? Grayson and Nick Stevens. Third round draft pick to the New Orleans Saints. Come on. Yeah. And yeah, in between the, you know, the wide receiver U brand that they've sort of built up in recent years, you know, with Preston Williams, Michael Gallup, Ola BC Johnson, Hollywood Higgins. Yeah. Preston all, Williams. Although five guys in the NFL, five guys in the NFL. I know Ola BC Johnson's hurt at the moment with the Vikings, but he's a young guy. Like they have five. What other team in the Mountain West has five caliber good, like guys who contribute pretty good on your team? I know. Rashard Higgins has been here there at the Browns. Michael Gallup turned into a really good receiver for the Cowboys. Preston Williams, what, year two? Surprised last year's rookie with uh, the Dolphins, who surprised everybody. The, what You have tools to say, hey, here's what we've done. We can win here. Fans love this. We have a new stadium. That's the, the, look, Dante, we didn't even mention Dante Wright and Trim McBride. Come on. They have, they'll have seven pass catchers in, in the NFL at once. Not many teams can claim that anywhere in college football. That's and true. there might like not very many, unless like Alabama who has like Devontae Smith and the other guys. Like I, it'll take me a minute to go through. I think I know Boise has a couple, but seven pass catchers, like that's pretty good. And that's something like, that's the thing that bogs me with Adazio. It's like, Oh, he's going to run the ball. I'm like, dude, you have, they ran out. What's his name? Um, who's the quarterback last year? Patrick um, O'Brien. O'Brien. Yeah. Like he's the quarterback you want to run this off, to run an offense with, Two elite pass catchers. Whatever you want to say about PFS all conference team is kind of wonky a little bit for how they grade and do stuff. But Trey McBride could make your argument, and I did a little bit when I put it in when kind of I went after like the media and coaches, whatever rankings or the all conference. He legitimately could have a case to be the best offensive player with 90 catches. Mm-hmm. He had 90 catches, and what did they get you? One touchdown pass and a fake punt in the finale for touchdown number two. You have throw the you're preaching to the choir. Here, I'm, man. I'm, I know I'm trying to explain to everybody else. It's like they probably agree, but you have a passing offense. And Tatsun Teo did get better throughout the year, like he did improve, which surprised me a bit. But he comes in and tried to pull, like, let me do exactly what I want to do. I'm not going to slowly build because you remember, I know we're going way off here, but when Brady Hoke took over the first time for San Diego State, he had Ryan Lindley eventually, and then Brady Hoke went to Michigan. Brady, before that ball state, what was he known for? Slinging the ball around the multiple wide receivers, doing that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. He didn't force that his first time. I think it was Chuck Long who, who he took over for. He didn't come in and force it. He, he goes, okay, who do I got? How can I incorporate some of my stuff while using the advantage of what was built here before me or what's available to me, like fullbacks or extra tight ends or whatever? He slowly built it, got his recruiting. Then he had Ryan Lilly get drafted in the NFL being a great quarterback. So Adazio seemed to me to be forcing a bit more than he should have. That's where I think the issue was where it's, I'm the coach. I know what I'm doing. He looks like a douchebag and a hard-headed guy. You know what I mean? He looks like one of those guys who you can tell who he is walking a mile away, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think he's going to be back, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the most likely scenario because they can't afford to get rid of him. I honestly think Joe Parker is going to be fired pretty soon. I, I, brought, I think I think Parker's saving grace is that you know for, for as rough a hire as Adazio has looked to be like Nico Medved like I don't know anything about college backs basketball oh they're good but that that Rams basketball team's looking pretty good as far as I know they're still undefeated and that's mm-hmm. that's and not what, nothing you know yeah, I think they're seven zero he brought in like I mentioned before brought in Larry State who's a no name had his it drink whatever Iowa State got ran out of town here because of more of that behavioral stuff but he they brought in. Tim Miles or past three basketball coaches. I'm not sure if he hired Miles or not, but basketball has been pretty good for coaches, but basketball doesn't make the money. Football makes the money. And if you have a brand new stadium that fits, what is it, 30, 40,000, and you bring in 10 to 12K, that's not getting it done. And that gets you your butt fired. Specifically, yeah, that, that makes sense. specifically when it's all public money or a lot of it, but they have fundraised to have something put aside just in case, which came in handy last year. So mm-hmm. I don't know, man. If I next year, can I make a bold prediction right now? Yes. My bold prediction last year was Nevada going to New York six. That clearly failed. So Rams fans, maybe you are um, going to like my predictions. You'll be wrong. I'm going to predict right now. They're going to be the worst team in the division next year. Interesting. Like we'll get to it later, but I know New Mexico ended pretty bad, but 
they have pieces to look forward to, and CSU is losing a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, let's get to the all conference stuff quick. It's going to be a long show, unfortunately. Well, maybe not unfortunately. Maybe you want this massive show we're going to do because there's lots a lot to talk. There's a lot to cover. There, I, I, I kind of do wish we did a couple of shows in between, but it's okay. So the Mountain West media, we'll get to these quickly because ours will come out later in the week. For the Mountain West conference stuff, for it was select meeting coaches. Can you? Where do you stand on Coach Year? Brady Hoke won the, won the award. Is that the right call? Can you make an argument to be correct? Or was it just a big whiff because it so, just was? So, I saw, so I saw a lot of people arguing about that in the replies. And honestly, totally. there's there's no wrong answer in the conversation between Brady Hoke and, and Blake Anderson because they both exceeded expectations. They just did it in, in different ways. You're wrong. I totally completely whiffed. They whiffed it completely. I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's not. I mean, okay, let's put it this way: it's not nothing to build a program into a top twenty, a top twenty-five team, a top twenty team, and that you know, for as as strong as the Aztecs have been in in past years, nobody expected that. You know, they, I agree. A lot of people, a lot of people expected them to be competitive, but they weren't expected to win the division. Nope. You know, I think if I remember correctly, they were expected to finish third, third in the West Division. Correct. So, you know, you're you're thinking but... in that case, you know, they're probably projected to win somewhere between six and eight wins. I think for my part, I projected them six and six. And I... they've, you know, they've, they've beaten expectations just about as handily as Utah State has. I don't know. I'm going to hire. They started with a higher floor. Yeah. But they have reached a higher ceiling. Uh... I will always say this: They quit on their team last year and won one game. Like, how big of a turnaround is that to be to like a fringe top forty-five team after your team quit on your former coach? And I'm not going to say that you're wrong. I just, but I'm not going to say that I'm wrong either because again, (laughs) both of those guys, Hoke and Anderson, exceeded expectations. I just think what Blake Anderson did, he did a better job overall, and that's that's fair because nobody. Here's the thing: you're right about the floor ceiling part. But Aztecs making Utah State like two or three wins, people are saying, like, and he goes up gonna maybe double digit wins. I did, it's also this award stupid as well. It's like if you're supposed to be a pretty good team and like, like Aztecs are supposed to be a pretty good team, then they'd be in a really good team. Or let's use the Boise State example. I think Brian Harson, everyone in coach year, maybe won that first year. But if you're supposed to be really good and you go and you're really good, like 11 to 1. Well, you're supposed to do that. So we'll give the award to somebody who overachieved. And that's where Brooks, or not Brooks, but Hoke sort of is. But I just think what Blake Anderson did, like Utah State had, they were kind of lucky in a few things here or there. Aspects are probably more dominant, but I just got to say it has to. For me, I put Blake Anderson number one by. And and I can make the argument for both, but I think Anderson's moves and what he did for this team, particularly with the offense, which had the best receiver, basically the best receiver in the country. And I'm just, I just think the turnaround okay, so, was more so, impressive. So, so speaking of the best receiver <laughs> in the country, yeah, that to me is the more interesting snub. Choosing what Carson you, Strong as offensive player of the year over Devin Tompkins. I did some research, and it may not be as crazy as we think. So, first of all, who did you vote for? I voted for Devin Tompkins in our staff vote. Which, which so, FYI for our listeners, too. this podcast will probably be out on Thursday. You can expect that on either late Thursday, early Friday, but continue. So, yes, because Tompkins, I thought he had the, I put it in the article I wrote. I'm like, where does he stand? I heard somebody say Mountain West record. I'm like, well, he might get that, but he's not because Richard Higgins has a Mountain West record. Mm-hmm. Seven, he has, this is the best receive, season for a receiver. I'll also have to mention, I thought Steve Smith won the award. He just won special teams player of the year. was not him. I, for some reason, I thought he won player of the year in the first year of the Mountain West but he was like the returner and stuff. But mm-hmm. Rashard Higgins had the best receiver receiving. I looked on CFB stats. So, I'm, and I know this is the one of the best ever. I believe this is the most yards, 1750 and 17 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Well, Tompkins set the program record for yards. Oh, that's what it was. Season. Okay. And so he had, oh, I don't know in front of me, so I should have put in there. He had what? 50, oh, here we go. He had 1,543 yards, led to conference and country in yards and yards per game. And he had, shoot, was it nine touchdowns he had? He had nine touchdowns, yes. Okay. For some reason, I don't have it in my part here. Also, he led receiver in a conference with at least 50 catches or more of yards per catch, so that as well. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking through, I'm like, okay, Rashard Higgins did Smith player of the year. So I looked at the only technical official wide receiver to ever win the award. He's not even a wide receiver. It's Chad Hall of Air Force in 07 mm-hmm. because he had 50 catches, 524 yards, but his 1,478 rushing yards, he had basically 2,000 yards from scrimmage and 16 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. But not a wide receiver, in my opinion, right? <laughs> For what he did. Yeah. But looking through, like, okay, so where does Carson Strong come in? Because he's the fifth player ever to win multiple, I guess back-to-back or same thing, multiple player of the year awards. Bradley Van Pelt, who we mentioned, Andy Dalton at TCU, Derek Carr for his name, Donald Pump for the most recently a couple years ago. So when I looked at like the numbers, like who's really good? Because Carson Strong completed 70% of his passes, mm-hmm. which was basically going back, only Grant Hendrick, who we also mentioned earlier before, is the only who actually had the best – a better quarterback season. I had to go back that far six years to see who had a better quarterback season. This mm-hmm. is better, better than Josh Allen, better than Hank Bachmar, better than anyone else. I didn't look at Derek Carr a few years prior, but since past six years, Carson Strong had a better, basically had the exact same year or even a better year than Grant Hendrick, who won the award for not Grant Hendrick. Um, was it, was it, oh shoot. Now I'm blanking here. No. Um, oh geez. No, I'm just terrible. Yeah. Grant Hendrick at Boise State. Not oh, yeah. issues. And then Cole McDonald, the 36 touchdowns. So it's basically the best season in like eight years as for quarterback, just about. Mm-hmm. So if you look back historically, but I know it's not a historical record. So I'm like, I'm thinking, are we really off? I just think, and you're probably in the same category as me. I'll let you have your thoughts here. I'm dominating the conversation. But I think in relation to the position and importance, Tompkins like far away. I you could stick any quarterback in the Mountain West, they wouldn't be maybe not be as good as Carson Strong, but they'd be darn close with those receivers they had. Yeah, I mean, on a per game basis, Strong admittedly was a little bit better per game than he was in 2020 when he also won the yeah. award. So, like, you know, he you know completed roughly the same amount of passes. You know, 70.1% last year, 70% mm-hmm. this year. You know, he threw for 30 more yards per game. And, you know, maybe part of that was owing to the fact that he only threw the ball 39 times a game last year and he yeah. threw over 43 times a game this year, but his yards per attempt were almost exactly the same as 8.1 last year, eight on the dot this year. But I think I'm with you, like in terms of like how important a player's production was to the team for which he plays, I don't think there's any doubt that Tompkins was the more important player to Utah State. Yeah, and I'm looking back. I'm going. I'm just scrolling through CFB stats. The last quarterback to have more yards per game was Derek Carr in 2013. That monster season of 50 touchdown passes. Yeah, and averaged 391 per game. Even David Fails that year averaged just about the same amount of yards at 350. But also Derek Carr threw it 50 times a game. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, and the other quibble I had was with with Cameron Friel as as the freshman of the year in the conference, which is not necessarily a knock against Friel. I think he had a solid year, all things considered. But, uh, I mean, I'm not even sure that he's the best freshman on his own team this Cam year. Oliver? Uh, no, Brennan Scott. Oh, Brennan Scott. Okay. Who did you put? Did you vote for Scott then? I for voted for Brennan Scott, yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I, and without giving anything away, I think I'm. it looks like I am in an increasing minority in that regard. But you know, in terms of, you know, the amount of impact freshmen there have been in the conferences here, like, you know, obviously Friel has had a pretty good year. I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, like he's got some, you know, Pete Thomas vibes to him if he can stay healthy and improve. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Scott came on very strong in the second half of the year um, and, and he stayed healthy and grew into a bigger role. Um, you know, Jack Howell, who I don't think we mentioned at all throughout the year for Colorado State, it was pressed into service as a safety and performed pretty well, mm-hmm. all things considered. Um, you know, uh, Kaunohi Kaniho played pretty well. Um, you know, I'm looking at some of the other guys who've received votes so far in our in our staff boat. You know, Aaron Dumas played pretty well as yeah. a running back for New Mexico. Luke Wysong. So, I mean, I I mean, I just I don't understand quarterback 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 award. That's what it is. Just rename it. It's like the Heisman. Bryce Young didn't win it. He's nowhere near the best. I mean, I, I don't know football. if I would agree with that because Kyle Williams won it last year and he was a wide receiver. Well, I just meant the playoff. Well, sorry, offensive player. That's kind of backtracking. 
I just think that there were a lot but, of a lot of other candidates who might have been overlooked a little bit. It's a lazy vote. I think I voted for Cameron Phillips as lazy. I was looking at a couple. I, maybe I put Dumas. I don't remember. But for real, had he played the whole season? Maybe he played well, but he not. I'm not including the last game and a half. But it was uh, he played. I should have what eight games? I think I don't have it in front of me. But he mm-hmm. played a good chunk of starting games. He had Doug Brumfield before. Yeah. Um, Anything else to quibble about? Like special teams player of the year, tight end. That was perfectly fine. Offensive line, Boise maybe had one too many players. I don't know, but uh, are we sure they're not coasting on their reputation there now? Boise State. Yeah. Well, duh. Yeah, obviously. I mean, the the, the reason I was looking at this this all conference first team, and it really made me appreciate the process that that I sort of forced upon everybody else as far as our staff vote is concerned. You mean um, to pick each position, not just do DBs and linemen? Yeah, so like the you know the five offensive linemen again, all quality linemen, no centers. Who's gonna snap the ball? Come on. Um, and then the, you know the same thing with the defensive line. All I believe all four guys who were picked: Scott Patchen, Tristan Nichols, Cam Thomas, and, and Billy Amipoko, All edge defenders. No interior. No interior guys. Where's Don Peterson? The tackle. Come on. Same thing with the defensive backs. All four of the defensive backs that were picked were safeties. It's lame. I like our process a little bit better. Which is why you're going to learn more about that on Thursday or Friday. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, 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 it makes it easier, I guess, but it's not a true indication of players because players will be missing out. Who like, see, I tend to be a little dubious about it ever since I learned that, like, when, when Donald Hammond the third was going off a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Didn't even that, get nominated. That he, that he wasn't even on the ballot. Like, so, co- so, I, so I take this entire thing with a grain and salt from, from now on. Because I because what that tells you is that coaches put players to be nominated for whatever, and so if you're not nominated, you're out of luck. It's I don't get that because he was like I think that year I voted for him player of the year. I think it was a couple yeah. years ago because he was that good. It was the year before last year. Like oh, they came yeah, it was before. two years ago when they were a top twenty five team. Yeah, he, was, he co- was insanely good that year, and he wasn't even on the all conference team because wasn't he wasn't available to vote for. So I think it was what BJ Rain said. Yeah, he wasn't on there. We're like where's yet? Like people were like oh yeah, he wasn't on there, and. I don't know. We'll get to our list later. Um, should we get to the portal news, I guess? Or yeah, you want you want to start with Fresno State or Hawaii? Well, actually, let's we'll start with the OW. Yeah, Kobe Whitman. That's a tough one. How much does that suck for a team on the rise like the Rebels? What is he a sophomore? Uh, I believe he's a. I believe he's going to be a junior, if I'm not mistaken. Well, first of all, check our tracker because you've been feverishly updating that, and people love it apparently, based on the numbers. Because and also trans, whatever, there's a lot of Twitter stuff to go out there, but losing him too because UNLV has shown progress. They have young quarterback, they'll they will need a new new running back, obviously, to replace Charles Williams. Receivers are young, Cam Oliver, other defenders, and you lose him. It's uh, like, that's like, tough, like, man. You know, like if he lands somewhere else in the conference next year, like if he transfers somewhere Oof. else in the Mountain West, he's gonna be like he's gonna be a top 50 guy easily because yeah. You know, last year, in you know, despite the kind of the overall mess that UNLV was slogging through, like it was evident that he was talented and productive. And then they moved him away from the line of scrimmage, and he started to figure out how to be productive again further away from the ball. And, you know, to the point that, like, you know, while he's, you know, while he's maybe not necessarily like the defensive player of the year. Um, you know, we you may notice that we didn't mention that at all because Cam Thomas is a pretty obvious. Oh, yeah, pick, I think at this there you point. go. Apologies, but, yes. Well, Chad Boom is up the moment, but yeah, but he's he's one of those guys who you know, was at least among the hand, maybe a, the best handful of defenders anywhere in the conference, you know, thinking forward to 2022. And so you have to think that that's a setback for a team that's otherwise going to be relying on a lot of young guys to keep improving. And that was like maybe the one veteran guy that they could have counted upon. Yeah. That's a tough loss for them because Arroyo, they in progress, whatever it's Friel, just Rogers or Brumfield, the QB competition will be interesting. These are young guys. And I, I'm keep, and I, one- keep, I keep seeing that he, get, he keeps getting offers from like everywhere around the country, group of five programs, power five programs, it's it's going to be a huge loss no matter where he lands. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's it's brutal. All right, let's go to Hawaii. We have two things to talk about Hawaii. Okay. Oh boy, for Hawaii's getting explosive here, man. Shavon Cordero is out, not out because kicked off the team decided to transfer, and they're actually a total of as of 
right now, again, Thursday night, recording this, um, or excuse me, Wednesday, whatever. What's the Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday night. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players in the portal at the moment, including Shevin Cordero and Didi Hunter and others. Um, those are two prominent guys. It seems, and Cordero played well. He got, he didn't get benched. He got hurt. That's why they had the back, the freshman come in for a little bit. But if you're on Twitter, our buddy, um, what's his Twitter handle, Scott? Um, oh, shoot. Uh, it's uh, Knock Beasy. Yeah. He pointed to us with DMs. Hey, there's a Twitter spaces going on with, with all these white football players publicly and out in the open. Basically, did you listen to any listen to any of it? I got to listen to a few minutes of it. I was yeah. I was out running errands. I was getting gas and groceries from Costco. But they're very but the, critical the, of the coaching the, staff. The, I mean, look, just thinking about the exercise in particular, it was fascinating to listen to. I wish it was recorded, but it's not. because well, and because we and, and you know maybe they'll release it later. You know, I guess apparently hosts have the capacity to record Twitter Spaces and, and review it later if they want to. Hey, we're going to do that Saturday, I think, maybe. So stay tuned. <laughs> but it was really interesting because you always hear about like players hosting player-only meetings like behind closed doors in the locker room. Which what I've been told does nothing. And But, you know, I, but I've never been personally privy to anything like that. So all I've ever had to go on is like well, what, I, what I imagined something like that to be like. And so this was the first time that I have ever seen anything approaching what I had envisioned. And they did it publicly. You know, they, so what, had, they had players speaking out. They had they had past players speaking out. Mm-hmm. They had, you know, pretty much the entire locker room, it seemed like, that was listening. Yeah. Even if not everybody spoke, you know, fans were listening. Uh, you know, local media was listening. Mm-hmm. Regional media, like us, was were, were tuning in. Yeah. Um, and while I, I don't have all the exact details... You know, what, what Scott had passed along to us, what I've been able to sort of glean from, from secondhand, you know, reflections on what they talked about, not a pretty picture for Todd Graham. No, and, and, them, not, and not a pretty picture for some of his assistant coaches either. A couple of things I noted listening to them is I didn't realize this, but every, apparently not every coach needs the has a coach's show so part of it is it's in your contract and also you know you get paid to do those things yes you know when you, when you see the hey they're getting media bonuses that's typically the tv coaches show weekly media appearances maybe not even the media appearances but some like my station i work at well i there's been a bunch of changes but one of them is like anderson joins he does a coach's show every week like typically and he also joins one of the programs we do every week. Yeah. There's a Craig Smith show with the other station we're at Kalani Shitake, Mark Pope. There's oh, all yeah. it's it, it's people yeah, know yeah. this stuff. Ke- you know, Keelan <laughs> yeah. Bower, who we'll talk about in a few minutes. Yeah. You know, he 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 would hang out at a bar that was like two miles from my house. Yeah. And, and do stuff a radio like show there. Yeah. Part of them getting paid. And they're and they're typically, not to be honest, fluff pieces, not a huge deal. Sometimes fans can call in, sometimes they don't. It depends what's get screened or whatnot. That's kind of what I would do in my position if I were to run yeah, one of those yeah, shows yeah. and whatever they let you're the gatekeeper let stuff come but usually pretty there's not a lot of pushback because typically it's on or it's it should be on the station that airs your games mm-hmm. so you, you want to be nice you want to ask questions you be a little critical mostly have fun pump up the program but Todd Graham apparently does not have that so it either means a the station ESPN 1420 Hawaii who airs your games I believe doesn't have money to pay them. I don't know. Or Todd Graham's asking for too much money or he doesn't think he has time or worth it. Worth it. It's good to do. People come in, have questions. People on know the coach and their thing is like, well, there's no pushback. It's like, yeah, but there wouldn't be any in the first place. However, it's good to hear from the coach. So that's not a thing. And then they're talking about certain things like coaches should be up in the booth or the sideline. Depends where you're at. It's And that's kind of a semantics thing. Who likes it better? Who does better? But it seems like a lot of little things where it could be better, but I listened for a little bit about that stuff. But the, I tuned in to the coaches show part. I'm like, that is very unique because even though it's really because of fluff piece, it's kind of just, oh, hey, we're shooting the, shooting the wind, do whatever, talking about the game, lost, win, we do it, doesn't matter. Coach may, may say something off the wall, be kind of funny, show some personality. Not that there'd be a ton of pushback about stuff, but 
I, I should look and see if you did these in Arizona State, Pitt, Rice, Tulsa. But, but it is very unique that that's not the case. So it seems like they're not, not a fan of him. And this isn't to say that's why Shavon Cordero and others transferred. But you got to think there has to be some impact. Well, I think it's somewhat related to that. And I can't remember who mentioned it. But you know, they talked about you know the importance of you know the the Hawaii culture in particular, and when a head mm-hmm. coach comes in, you know, and, and this is something that you know I understand implicitly as sort of as a Fresno State alum, you know, Fresno State of course has the uh, you know they the anytime anyone anytime anywhere brand, and and even though Pat Hill of course you know, hasn't been the the head coach for like a decade mm-hmm. now, like that's sort of like that's that's the vibe that the Bulldogs want to be able to exude. You know, that sort of, you know, fearless in your face. We're going to play, you know, who, you know, whoever you want anywhere, you know. And so, you know, I understand that with Hawaii where like, you know, there's, it's a different vibe out there, you know, and it's, it's definitely much different culturally, just, you know, in terms of like, you know, the, the, the people who, who live there and things like that. And, and sort of like, you know, the values that they have out there. And so, you know, it just seemed like in the course of the conversation that Todd Graham either didn't get it coming into it or maybe even worse, hasn't even attempted to do that. And, you know, to kind of take that in a different direction, you know, one of the things that was sort of, you know, brought to us secondhand was I think the, the account from Kai Kaneshiro in particular, who, you know, I would say, you know, 24 to 48 hours ago, I had seen that he was going to be, um, hold on a second. So, so what I thought was most interesting though, was the, the, the sort of narrative that Kai Kaneshiro brought out there, which, you know, I had seen something sort of in passing on Twitter. I think it was roughly 48 hours ago that he'd been removed from the roster. And, you know, I was like, Oh, well, that's kind of interesting. Cause you know, even if he wasn't a full-time starter, you know, he was a guy who'd seen plenty of playing time over the last couple of years. And, you know, from his accounting, and again, you know, because I wasn't able to listen to it directly, you know, take this for, for what it's worth um, and, mm-hmm. you know, always seek out other sources and stuff like that. But, you know, one, one of the things that he said that really grabbed everybody's attention was like, you know, when playing under Nick Rolovich, he loved playing football and playing under Todd Graham killed that enthusiasm. Nick Rolovich is an eccentric type of guy, as we know. You know and- he, he, and, but, you know, and, but that's not all. You know, he'd also said that like some of the defensive assistants like don't know how to break down film, Oof. including the defensive coordinator, Victor Santa Cruz. Who I thought did a pretty good job last year and a bit this year at times. Yeah. And and the fact that Kaneshiro was forced to play through injury for most or all of the year. Um, and I think, you know, what what broke the camp's back, so to speak, was the fact that, you know, he got pulled from the Colorado State game a couple of weeks ago. And then Graham asked him to go back in. And, you know, this is, this is verbatim from a forum post. So um, mm. you know, again, probably paraphrasing, <laughs> probably paraphrasing, but Kaneshiro said something to the effect of, I will never play another down for you, which is why rather than Whoa. transferring, he's taking a medical retirement instead. Interesting. You know, for which Graham tried to take his scholarship. Oof. And, and, you know, to sort of to kind of circle back to the whole culture thing, you know, one of the things that seemed to, you know, demoralize a lot of players was the fact that they weren't necessarily as much of a team as maybe they could be where, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the position groups were really stratified and, you know, not necessarily, you know, hanging out as a large group as much as you might suspect. So, you know, even among, you know, veterans and and incoming players, like, you know, apparently there was like a divide there too, where like veteran guys weren't getting to know the new recruits or something like that, or they were being, you know, very selective about who could do what, as far as like, you know, I saw, I saw somebody mentioned somewhere, something about like a cookout where some players were invited and others weren't. Yikes. So again, take that all with a grain of salt, but, you know, depending on how much of that is true, you know, the fact that they've gone to the extraordinary step of airing this out in public so that people like you and I can hear about it 3,000 miles away, 4,000 yeah. miles away. Just some is, randos. Is extraordinary. Bold, too. Yeah. You know what? I love it because these guys, here's the thing. Like, one, also, one quick thing. Shavon Cordero, did, I didn't realize this. I should have known this. He's from Hawaii. Yes. So. He, he, was, <laughs> he, he played at a high school power in Hawaii. Yeah. Probably St. Louis, I'm guessing, right? One of those. Yeah, and so you know, you've seen it from a lot of Hawaii fans, where you know there's 
there's a lot of anger to go around, which I think is you know sort of justified because you know they haven't necessarily been bad over the last couple of years. You know they were you know like five and four last year. They were six and seven this year. So maybe they underperformed a little bit. But you know there's a lot of anger at the athletic director for bringing in Todd Graham without maybe necessarily knowing what he was getting into. You know there's a lot of anger at Graham himself for you know letting you know homegrown talent walk out the door. Um, and so, you know, even without all sort of the extra other extraneous stuff, you know, now you're looking at a situation where Hawaii is replacing a starting quarterback, multi-year mm-hmm. starter, replacing a starting running back. And it seems like all the indications are that there's going to be more people in the transfer portal in the next handful of days. And, and again, if you go back to last year's transfer portal, this is not the first time that Hawaii has gone through this in the last 12 months or so. A lot of players walked out the door about 12 months ago and into the offseason last year, too. So, you know, and, and this is not even including, you know, someone like Calvin Turner, who's graduating. That's right. And so, you know, they're sort of in a different, I mean, they're, they're not necessarily in quite the same boat as Colorado State, which you talked about earlier. But they're fast approaching a situation where things could look a lot bleaker than it would have otherwise if, things had gone a little bit differently behind closed doors. Do you know scholarships are currently four years? They still roll in one year scholarships. That I don't know off the top of my head. I know that's kind of changing, but I'd love they did this because a coaches can say whatever they want and do what they want, which is do what you want. Take all these other jobs, go transfer. Don't be pissy if players do too, but play, like we saw the movement last year where we're still serious. It's being taken by administrators or whatever, but like the Pac-12 thing, it's like, hey, or would Trevor Lawrence said this, like, hey, we want to play, but we want this as well. Mostly the Pac-12 did it quite a bit. Yeah. Like, you can't unionize, it's whatever, it's, it's dumb, it's their players need some sort of voice that's not just whoever. It, it, it needs to be more yeah. collective if that's could be done. And so this is great, like, they could do this, like, if everybody's doing this, what is the coach going to do? He's not going to because there's ways, like you said, to mention before, to get guys to transfer, leave, or pull their scholarship. It's like, let me nicely nudge you, or it's like, I think you might be better off playing somewhere else where they don't cut you, but they also don't want to pull your scholarship. That's a really jerky thing to do, and you'll get more heat from that. But they may say, hey, you might, your playing time may not be sufficient next year because of A, B, or C. They mm-hmm. want you to get, we kind of slowly push you out of town. I know they do this in SEC a lot for, I know Stephen Goffrey says a ton about, like you said, the medical type stuff to get them out of there to where they have to transfer or medically retire where the scholarship won't count against the football program, because there's those things where scholarship will be honored if you're like medically injured, but I don't, but I don't think it counts against your 85 cap, mm-hmm. but I'm glad they did this because coaches, there's not a ton of media in Hawaii. There's only like Steven Stein and a couple of guys. A handful of yeah, there's people Steven Stein, there's Dave Reardon, there's, there's Christian Shimabuka, you know, couple- there's, there's a few guys. other guys here. There's the guys at Kaleo Sports, and but so there's a few outlets, but you know it's not like a major they're, market like like in LA yeah. or San Diego. Or well, clearly, like but they're also far away. They're isolated. The time difference. But doing this, it's bold, and I don't know what to come of it. Like did, I didn't hear it all, but like I, I think Scott's going to write something about it, hopefully, because I think he listened to the majority of it. Maybe it'll be released later, so we can more listen more closely. But like, do they want him gone? Do they want? I don't know what I don't know what their end goal is going to be or what they want it to be or just to say this and hopefully things change. I guess we'll find out. All right, Fresno State time. Speaking of change, oh boy, how are you doing? Oh well, um, <laughs> I'm about as well as I can be for for a fan of a team that just lost its head coach and its quarterback in in 48 hours, and maybe its wide receiver, and maybe its wide receiver. Yes. So if you're under a rock, Kalen DeBoer took the Washington job, which. Now, unexpected, but it's still disappointing. Like, you have the opportunities. I get it. But so is – did did um, Jay Kaner say he's going to Washington? I believe the last report, which was about an hour ago from John Wilner, the expectation is that he's going to transfer back to Washington. That makes sense because he was there before under – who, Chris Peterson, I'm guessing? Uh, I believe it was Peterson who recruited him, yes. Yeah. So that here's the thing. Both these things can be true. Let players have some freedom to move, but also it freaking sucks, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Which you understand. Like, I, I know you don't blame him to leave. Like, I don't know what Fresno State could come up with money-wise. And part of it, I was hoping for your sakes that they'd get Matt Campbell because you see what 
Lincoln or yeah, Lincoln Riley come to LA, USC, it's like, oh, they're going big time. They want to make the Pac-12 super relevant. So let's go after a coach who's had longer and more high-level success. Because Kellen DeBoer has only been head coach for, what, two years? Yeah, so and, and maybe we should throw in this caveat that apparently Jake Hainer sent a text to Mike Borrell of the Seattle Times saying, quote, I haven't committed anywhere yet, and you can't see it, but I'm doing the Agatha Harkness wink gif. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sure. Yes. Air quotes. Yeah. Was there quotes yet? Uh, well, I mean, it is a direct quote. So yes, there are. Okay. Well, there we, are quotes well, around well, you, you know what I mean? Like the quote within the quote. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Your eye wink is a better example, but it that's, that's tough. Uh, because you lose Ronnie Rivers is gone. Is Jordan Mims gone or is he returning? Uh, Jordan Mims. I, I mean, so far, I mean, his, his initial reaction to the, to the news of DeBoer leaving was the eye emoji. It, it was, yeah, it was relatively <laughs> muted. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, eligibility wise, I think he has another year, but don't quote me on that. everybody could have another year. I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's tough. So he's, he's going to Seattle. Is there anybody coaches going with him? Because OC was always handed. So, next so I know the, I believe the rumor is, and which hasn't been confirmed one way or the other yet that, you know, Ryan Grubb is likely to go with, De, with the uh, DeBoer to Seattle. Okay. Uh, as far as William Inge is concerned, that I don't know. So you put up some lists. I th- I'm making a decision right now. We're going to make this two episodes because this is going to be way too long. So we will break this momentarily to hear the Utah State, San Diego State preview. But we'll wrap this part up here before I move on. So looking at the candidates out there, who – because you put a list of, what, 12 guys, I think it is? Yeah, I mean, and admittedly, some of them are a lot more far-fetched than others. Is it really Jeff Tedford again? I mean, that's that's the obvious move. You, me, and Josh Webb know it's Jeff Tedford a mile away like last time? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> but, but at least this time we know it's a good idea. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm like you getting a screen grab by Jeff Devin Nunez, Nunez out there. <laughs> yeah. So apparently for Tedford, his health is great, I'm guessing. I mean, it's, it's a seemingly clean bill of health. So who would you want to see? Because you put in Ryan Grubb, which would be a great promotion from within, or William Ng as well, Ng of the, the DC. Yeah. Who like who on your list? Because you just go read the list. We're not going to read every name, but who would you want? Like who would be your number one choice to best fit to be the coach? Is it Tedford or is there somebody else you'd prefer? So, I mean, I think Tedford, I mean, there's a reason he's the obvious choice. As yeah, you he, noted. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, part of it is too, like, it, it's not simply Tedford. It was the fact that he identified guys like Kalen DeBoer in the first yes. place. And so, you know, you would, you know, you have that sort of built in trust that, you know, not much has changed in two years. Like it, it wasn't a lack of will or a lack of performance that pushed him to step away from the job. It was just his health. And, and, and the only reason they were so far, not even so far down, but they had a down year in 2019 was because they were really unlucky in one score games. They were one in five that year. Um, but then, you know, they weren't necessarily that bad by a lot of the other you know measures that I, that I prefer to look at. And so, you know, obviously DeBoer stepping in, taking over and leading them back, you know, through the strangeness of COVID into a nine and three campaign you know, obviously there are going to be some places to replace some pieces to replace, but he would be stepping into a much better situation than he did last time. And the yeah, last totally. time, the last time he stepped into a situation that looked bleak, you know, I thought they might win three games his first year and one they won to, 10. Yeah. One to 10, like the biggest turnaround ever in FBS history. And then they beat the plexiglass, uh, the plexiglass principle and won 12 games the next year. So I know they're going to start from a much better place you know, even despite losing, you know, a handful of coaches, you know, I think it was, I just, you know, looked it up from, from Paul Leffler, who's the, the play-by-play guy for the, for the Bulldogs radio. Mm-hmm. You know, he thinks Grubb is gone, Inge is gone, the uh, defensive line coach Eric Schmidt is gone, and the safeties coach Chuck Morrell are all going to go to Washington. But if you're Grubb, wouldn't you want to be, to be a head coach? But other guys, but other guys might stick around. Like he was sort of telling that the interim guy this time around was not Grubb, but Lee Marks, who's gotten high marks as the running backs coach and a, and a really strong recruiter as well. So like if he sticks around, that's a coup. And again, like if Tedford becomes the head guy, then if he, if he surrounds himself with, you know, coordinator talents that are, are on the upswing, 
which, you know, when I, when I lambasted the, the, the hire the first time around, I didn't really think about that at the time. And, it, but it is something that I'm aware of now. And so I think, okay, well, you know, he did it once, you know, he identified talent, not only on the field, but on the sidelines. So what's not to say that he can't do it again. Sure. But, but beyond Tepford, um, you know, the, I think, you know, if you, if you flip to the second page of the article, you can kind of tell that like a lot of them are a little more wishy-washy, but I'll point out two that I think are particularly interesting to me, which I don't think are the most obvious fits, but like one is Troy Taylor, the head coach of Sacramento state. I'll let you go ahead before I thought, because when he was at Utah, there were some issues there. So, so beyond Utah, you know, in his time at Sacramento state, and again, the big West or the big sky, excuse me, not an easy place to win consistently. Sure. But he has two conference titles in three years. And again, we're talking about Sacramento State, which is not not Eastern not, Washington, not, not typically been like a, a like seller dollar program, but not necessarily yeah. one that has always covered itself in glory. In glory, not, like it's yeah, it's been an okay to below average program for most of the time that this existed. But um, they're hosting an FCS playoff game in the second round this Saturday. Not bad. You know, they they landed sixteen players on the all conference team just this last week. You know, he like he has built something, and you know, speaking of Eastern Washington, like he was the OC there at some point. And I believe it was 2016, and if I remember correctly, the quarterback that he had that year, Gabe uh, Gabriel, I believe, um, I believe he set the FCS record for most passing yards in a year <laughs> that year. So, yeah. you know, I know that you have your reservations from from Taylor's time in Utah, but you know, I look at that, and, and while I don't think it's the the path that the Bulldogs are most likely to take. I think it's one that might be worth look, taking a closer look at. Yeah. The reason I, it's not, it's not because of how he coached the position. He literally told people he's over his head as an offensive coordinator. Okay. That that's a concern, not for what Utah did or didn't do, but the he was too big for the job. The job mm-hmm. was too big for him. Maybe he's learned head coach FCS level different than an OC at a power five, even whatever you want to think of Utah. It was usually top 40 team nearly year in your year out usually better the past five years, but that's the big concern. Like he even said the job was too big for him. Mm-hmm. So, but going to Sacramento state, like you said, winning in the big sky, which is good. It's not Weber state winning, which Jay Hill's done. It's not Eastern Washington. It's not these other schools that are doing extremely well. He's doing it there. So maybe things changed the past couple of years and he's learned a bit, but that's the only thing I'd say like, well, he openly admitted to a lot of people that the job wasn't, maybe he wasn't ready for the job. essentially. It's too much. And so I think, you know, beyond that, and, and I'm not going to list everybody, but the other guy that I want to point out, which is maybe a, a much longer shot, like I, I really don't think he may not even get an interview. But I was looking into like, okay, well, who could be the next Kalen Boer? And I did a lot of digging, trust me. I spent uh, an entire day thinking about this. But I, but I learned about Vince Kears, the, the defensive coordinator at Toledo, mm-hmm. who, who's only been there two years. But Jason Candle brought him in back in 2020. Before that, he was the head coach at Mount Union. And if you're a college football fan, you may know that Mount Union is one of the best programs in Division III. Yep. Kears was the head coach there for seven years. He compiled an overall record of 95-6. and He won two national titles. And, And oh, by the way, his dad, Larry Kears, won more national titles at Mount Union than literally any other coach at any other level in the history of football. I think the more apt comparison could be Brian Kelly, who did amazing things at Grand, Grand Valley State before what he's been doing lately. Well, no, Larry Kears won like 11 national titles. No, 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 no. no I mean, um, <laughs> the younger Kears, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like but very Brian, successful out of lower division and then moves up and blows up and so, does amazing things. So, so, so Kears was brought on in Toledo. Toledo, of course, didn't have the year that maybe they expected. They were only seven and five. But Kears' defense is fierce. You know, they're basically a top 20 team by defensive SP+. They're a top 20 team by available yards percentage allowed. They're a top 20 team by points per drive allowed. So there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that the defense was the problem for their underperforming this year. And so I think, well, if we're looking for the next potential DeBoer, if you're looking for maybe the next potential Lance Leopold, who, as we know now, you know, mm-hmm. went from, what was it, Wisconsin-Whitewater? Yeah, to Buff- to Buffalo, and now he's at Kansas. 
you know, in Applebee's commercials for a fullback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if you're looking for that next guy, Kier seems like the obvious candidate. I would toss in like Jay Hill at Weber State, what he's mm-hmm. done offensively, because he's he's mostly in state of Utah, but none of those jobs are going to open up unless he wants to wait for Kyle Woodingham to retire in a couple of years. So I'm like, that could be a move offensively. I like you yeah. drop and, 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 you know, obviously, you know, a lot of programs, and I don't think Fresno State is an exception here, a lot of programs prefer guys who are familiar with the program intimately, or at least familiar with the region. Yeah, and, helps. and so, you know, for, for someone like Kears, that would be a strike against them on its on its on its face. But the, like, let's not forget, like DeBoer didn't have any ties to Fresno before before Tedford plugged him out of uh, Eastern Michigan. Just get he, your staff around you. That he was always the like, you know, talent will play anywhere. And that's true both on the field and on the sidelines. Yeah, he's got relationships and get your assistants who are from anywhere in California, essentially. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like have that stuff. I do one under the radar, which I'd love to see. Brennan Marion. Oh, boy. That would be... Whew. I mean, that's, yes, definitely, that's definitely on the long <laughs> shot side of things. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just saying it's... Uh, Hawaii quarterback, wide receivers coach, quarterback coach. What was he? Uh, Hawaii. He was a wide receivers coach. Okay, same. And now he's the wide receivers coach at Pitts, who's in the ACC title game with a Heisman candidate quarterback. So and and a Bledenkov finalist wide receiver. Yeah. So just saying, he's gonna get some. He's gonna get paid this offseason. He's on. He's on the way up one way or another. Yeah. So we'll see. Anything else to add, or we we'll go through everything we need to do because this is a lot for our not for allegedly preview show the Mountain West Tally game. Yeah, I think uh, we're pretty much set. All right, so like I said we're make break this in two parts. So check us out mwr.com. Subscribe, let us know what you like about it, and yeah, just hit the pause, hit hit just hit net, just line up the next episode in the podcast feed and keep going.